0: Lovely, lovely. Uh, great to see you. Um, I didn't say hello, either. my name is uh, Johnny, if I've not met you before, really lovely to have you along here with us. We're carrying on this series in John's Gospel, thinking about courage, um, and this this section as Jesus gets into some of his teaching. Uh, As you read it, you find it doesn't quite kind of flow from one thought to another. It's not quite as straightforward as that. So as we look at the passage together, we're not necessarily going to look at one verse following the other. We're probably going to try and pick out a couple of themes and see how those themes are built throughout um, the the, the passage we've got in front of us. So you might just have to kind of keep your wits about you a little bit more than than normal. Let's pray as we come to these words. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy of being able to hear your voice in your Son by your spirit we pray that as we sit here together as your people that we would sit with humble hearts ready to hear what you have to say ready to be convicted and challenged where we need to be but with hearts that are open to hear words of encouragement and comfort as well please speak to us we pray in jesus name amen I think in um, all all kind of great quest stories or adventure stories, there there is always that that moment, isn't there, when the two friends have to separate. Or or in those kind of stories about wars and battles, those kind of romance stories, there's there's a moment, isn't there, when one is sent off to war and the the couple, the the, the happy couple, are, are separated. And when that happens, in that time of crisis, one person will usually leave something behind, some kind of reminder or symbol of their love or of their friendship. In the novel, The Woman in White, which is an incredible, uh, exciting story, Walter Hartwright loves Laura fairly. But they they can't stay together. It's just impossible for them to stay together. And at the moment that they have to leave, Laura gives Walter a painting. And he looks at the painting and he says, and I think it'll be on the screen, This shall never leave me. All my life long it shall be my treasure that I prize most. You can imagine in those moments of sadness, those moments of loneliness, Walter will look at that painting and he will think of Laura and remember her love. Well, what we've seen in chapters 13 to 17, um, they're the chapters that we're looking at in this series, that Jesus is about to leave his friends, leave his disciples. But before he goes, he gives them something. Have a look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. You see, at the point of his departure, Jesus promises to give his disciples a gift, a gift from him and his father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I guess like the gift that Laura Farley gives Walter Hartwright, this gift from Jesus will bring comfort and reassurance. And like that gift from Laura to Walter, this gift in some ways is a symbol of of Jesus' love for his friends. As it was read, you you must have noticed the theme of love all the way through these verses. You see it all over the place. In verse 15, love me, Jesus says. Verse 21, love is mentioned four times. It's there again in verse 23 and 24. It's there again in verse 28 and 31. This gift of the Holy Spirit is about love. But what we're going to see is that this gift is so much more than just a token of Jesus' love or a symbol of his presence. It is so much more wonderful than that. With the Holy Spirit, we don't just remember the love of Jesus. We actually experience the love of Jesus. Let's have a look at that. First of all, through the Spirit, we love Jesus by giving ourselves to him now as I say this idea of love comes up right at the beginning there it is in verse 15 Jesus says if you love me keep my commands now think about that if you love me keep my commands don't you find that description of love a little bit odd Maybe Jesus will make it clearer later on, but instead he keeps saying the same thing. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Or verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's there again in verse 24. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. What does loving Jesus look like? Well, he says, you love me by keeping my commands, by obeying my teaching. I say, don't you find that a bit odd? It's not how we tend to think of love, is it? Certainly not how we tend to think of kind of romantic love. Imagine there's a guy and a girl and, and they've been seeing each other for some time and it's going really well. And the girl is excited because the guy has asked her out for a meal, an expensive restaurant in London. They've talked about marriage before, and she thinks she knows where this meal is going. They have the amazing meal. It's candlelit. There is a little guy in the background playing a violin. Is that how you play a violin? I don't think so, but you know what I mean. And then the guy takes her hand and looks into her eyes and starts with, Will you and her heart is fluttering because she knows what he's going to say will you marry me that's what she expects but then he says will you obey this list of commands that I've drawn up I think you'll find it to your satisfaction that is not love is it what does Jesus mean when he says if you love me you will keep my commands i guess in some ways if you love someone you you do want to please them and perhaps you could say well that's a way you can please jesus by keeping his commands but i think something deeper is being spoken of here when jesus says to his disciples love me by keeping my commands he is calling us to give our whole selves to him to, to give our whole lives to him have a look at verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Those who love Jesus by obeying his teaching, what happens? Their hearts become a home for Jesus and his father. That is, our hearts belong to Jesus. Jesus. We give our lives, our hearts, over to him and to his Father. Now isn't that a better way, I think, to understand what Jesus means when he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus is saying, If you love me, you will give your whole self, your whole life, over to me. Now that sounds radical, doesn't it? But then true love is radical. You know, you go back to that scene with the guy and the girl in the restaurant. He's reached over to take her hand and he's gearing himself to ask her this, this big question. And this time he says what we're all expecting Will you marry me? And what is that question if not, Will you give yourself to me? We demonstrate our love to each other when we give ourselves to each other. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do when he says, keep my commands. Give me your whole life. When I keep his commands about being a husband, I give Jesus my marriage. When I keep his commands about being a parent, I give him my children. When I keep his commands about being an employee, I give him my career. When I keep his commands about sex and relationships, I give him my sexuality. When I keep his commands about being generous, I give him my money and my possessions. Do you see? When Jesus says, love me by keeping my commands, he's calling us to give our whole lives over to him. Now, that kind of love isn't easy. We find it hard just on a human level, friendship to friendship or even husband to wife, to give the whole of our lives over to Jesus. That is incredibly hard, isn't it? It's hard to trust Jesus with every part of our lives. It's, it's hard to be motivated to hear and keep his commands. So how do we do it? How do we love Jesus like this? Well, it's only with the Holy Spirit. Listen again to verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper to help you and be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He will help us to love Christ by keeping his commands. Now, with the Spirit as our helper, we have access, therefore, to infinite power and resource. Because what does Jesus call the Spirit? Another advocate or another helper. It's that word another which is important here. Because that word tells us something of incredible significance, it tells us that the Spirit is another Jesus, another like Jesus. If I was fixing something at home and I bent the screwdriver and I held it up and said to you, uh, look, can you get me another one of these? And you came back with a hammer, I think, what are you doing? One of these, another one of these, what do I mean, I want another screwdriver? See, when we hear that the Spirit is called another helper, he is another one like Jesus. Jesus was the first helper. The Spirit is the second helper of the same kind as Jesus. And that means just as Jesus is fully God, so the Holy Spirit is fully God. So think about that. Jesus says to us love me by keeping my commands love me by giving your whole life over to me and that seems daunting and and impossible beyond what we're capable of and then he says I'm going to give you another helper someone who is just like me with divine power and authority with divine love and patience and wisdom it is the divine holy spirit who helps us and don't think of the, the spirit of being some kind of force out there, kind of working externally upon us, trying to influence, influence us from out there. Now, he is at work from within. So verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you spirit dwells within us and changes us from within he works on our desires and our longings and our motivations he makes our lives and our hearts a fit place for christ and his father to dwell the writer c.s lewis captures this brilliantly in his book mere christianity that the words will be on the screen. Let me read them to you. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At First, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts incredibly and doesn't seem to make sense. What's he doing? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That is what the divine Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. He is powerfully working within us to turn our hearts into a home that is fit for God the Father and God the Son to dwell in. Hearts that love Christ. Hearts that want to give themselves wholly to him hearts that want to obey his commands so the spirit enables us to love Jesus by giving him our whole lives by keeping his commands and wonderfully as we love Christ by giving ourselves to him through the spirit he loves us By giving himself to us that's our second point through the spirit Jesus loves us by giving himself to us have a look at verse 21 whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them we thought about the first half of that verse But see what Jesus says in a second. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them. It's a promise that that perhaps is way too familiar to us. That God the Father and God the Son will love us. It it doesn't matter who you are this morning, whether you've been a Christian for years or not even yet put your faith in Jesus. Those words are mind-blowing. And we are so familiar with them. We are too familiar with them. The creator of the universe, the God of all glory and goodness and majesty, says to every one of us, you can experience my love. I want you. That that can even be your experience this morning if it's never been before. But then Jesus tells us something about what it looks like, what it means for the Father and the Son to love us. He goes on in verse 21. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus says, I will love you by showing myself to you. That's confusing, isn't it? The disciples find it confusing. Look at verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? So, so Judas, notice this is a, a different Judas to the one who betrayed Jesus. There were confusingly two Judases amongst Jesus' disciples. I feel a little bit sorry here for, for this, Judas, don't you? You know, when Judas Iscariot accomplished his plan to betray Jesus, this Judas must have resigned himself to always, from that point on, being known as the other Judas. So the other Judas is confused. Jesus, how will you show yourself to us and not to the world? And it is confusing. Will Jesus show himself physically to every believer? Will he give every believer some kind of vision of himself? What does he mean? Well, I think in the context of John 14, he must be talking about the Holy Spirit. He will show himself not by physically appearing to every believer, but by giving the spirit to every believer. Like Laura Fairley gave that painting to Walter Hartwright as a symbol of her love, something to remember her by. So the spirit is a symbol of Jesus' love. But he is so much more than that. When Jesus gives us the spirit, he's not just giving us a token of his love. He is giving us himself. Look at Jesus' reply to other Judas in verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them. We will come to them, Jesus says. Jesus himself will come to us. The Father himself will come to us. What does it mean for the Father to love us and for the Son, Jesus, to love us? It means they give themselves to us by his spirit they come to us and so do you see through the spirit we are able to love jesus by giving ourselves wholly to him and through the spirit the son and the father love us by giving themselves to us now that is profound And it will take eternity, I suspect, for us to really understand it. But there are some implications, plenty of implications, that we could draw out from that to to, to apply to our lives now. And there are lots of things I'd love to say, but I want to finish up with just two things. First of all, because the Father and Son come to us by the Spirit, it means we begin to experience life now look at what jesus says in verse 19 before long the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because i live you also will live have life what does jesus mean when he says you will also live w- weren't his disciples already alive maybe he's talking about the resurrection and i think he is talking about that but something else as well look at verse 20 On that day, when you will live, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. See what he's saying about life, true life? It is living life with God the Father and God the Son in a united relationship. The Christian truly lives because the Spirit, the Christian, because we have the Spirit, the Christian lives in relationship now with the Father and with the Son. Now, let me say something which might be controversial, but it is certainly wonderful. The bed bound believer cannot leave their home. That their movement is severely restricted. They cannot work. They cannot pursue the hobbies or the desires of their hearts. That they've given up on all their hopes and dreams. That bed bound believer is more alive than the highest achieving non believer. They're not experiencing the fullness of life now. That will come when Jesus returns but the life they have is more profound, more real, and it is eternal. You see, the Spirit brings the Father and Son to us so that even now we can experience true life. But here's the second thing, the second massive implication of the Spirit bringing the Father to us. It doesn't just mean life now, it means peace now. Have a look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. A wonderful promise. Jesus gives us his peace. And I don't think Jesus is giving us some kind of mind technique a daily habit of of calming our thoughts. something wrong with using those things, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. When he's talking about peace, in the context of John 14, when he's talking about giving us his peace, he's talking about giving us the Spirit. The peace Jesus gives us is the peace that comes because by his Spirit, he is with us. The peace Jesus gives us is personal, it's relational, it's himself. And that fills us with courage. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. I know I quote way too much Harry Potter. There's a point in the story, I'm not going to give anything away, I don't think, when Harry is facing something terrible, something he must do on his own. And as he's walking to his fate, he sees his parents and his other friends. Listen to the impact it has on Harry as he sees them. It's on the screen. Beside him, making scarcely a sound, walked his parents. And their presence was his courage. And the reason he was able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. What is it that calms his heart? What brings him peace? It isn't a mind technique or a change of circumstances. It is the presence of his parents. And it's something of what it's like for us as Christians. Only better and true. The presence of Jesus walking alongside us by his spirit is our peace. When I am unsettled, By the rages of of the temptation that I feel within, I know Christ is with me, the one who has overcome the devil. That brings peace, that calms my heart. When I feel overwhelmed by the pressure of those around me to change my beliefs, to conform, to fit in, I look to Christ who is with me, the one who has overcome the world. That brings peace and courage my heart when i'm worried about the guilt that hangs over me about the ways that i've fallen short failed to to love others failed to love god and with disastrous consequences i look to christ who is my righteousness and that brings peace and comfort to my heart I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what sufferings or sadnesses that might come, but I do know that Christ will be beside me and his presence will be my peace, my courage, and the reason that I will be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them. And make our home with them peace i give you says jesus he gives us himself by his spirit when jesus therefore gives us the spirit he doesn't just give us a symbol of his love or a token of his love something to remember him by he gives us himself he gives us the very experience of his love that we might know life now and peace now. A moment of quiet and then we're going to pray. Listen to his promise again. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Spirit. We pray that each one of us this morning would have a deep awareness of his work in our hearts. And the sign of that awareness would be a desire to give our whole lives to Christ. And a sign of that awareness that your Spirit is in our hearts would be a sense of your presence with us. Father, please, this week, whatever it holds, we pray that we would know that you are with us by your Spirit. That would fill our hearts with joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.